Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to enjoy the new Dune movies. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. He's in the trailer a bunch, like he can't be dead at this point. And by the creators of the new hit indie lo-fi sci-fi film, Ultrasound. Writer, Connor Stetschut. They had to do a second take where they took out the leech, the leech wranglers, yeah. <laughs> and director, Rob Schroeder. You can throw the story out the window. It's spectacular to watch. We cover Roger Deakins and Sam Mendez's one-shot wonder, their World War I masterpiece, 1917. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. A link is in the show notes. And now, without further ado... 1917. Connor, Rob, welcome back to Dune Pod. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, so since the last time that you all were here, I think it was in October of last year, right around the Dune premiere, um, you guys were just getting ready to premiere or had premiered at Tribeca, right? In uh, June of last year, we had a Tribeca premiere. Um, okay, good. Yeah. You premiered in Tribeca, and then you guys have now gone through and launched Ultrasound, the killer, lo-fi, sci-fi, thriller, horror-ish. You know, how's it feel to get it out there? It's, uh, it's a weird feeling. I, I had uh, <laughs> two kids before this. Um, uh-huh. This is my third. Um, so, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's a little postpartum weirdness you know i've been focusing on this thing for a while so it's uh it's kind of surreal to have it out and not know what to do with my time Mm -hmm. yeah but it's good and how about you connor having having written the graphic novel that that was the source material yeah yeah similar similarly it's yeah it's been like a sort of uh there's definitely like a sort of period of mourning where you're like oh i can't i can't work on it anymore like it's not gonna it's not gonna get any better it's not gonna i can't or like if it's if it's not as good or whatever, you know, you can't do anything else. It's it's done. So there's there's that there's that bit of like sadness, but that's also a wonderful thing too because it it clears the clears the slate for new things. Mm, special edition. Well, well, Connor has a special edition coming. Yeah, actually, what do I have right here? That looks like a nice printing. I love that cover. Sick. Where can folks get a hold of that? It's on pre order right now from Ooh. Fantagraphics. So yeah, if you look up, if you go to the Fantagraphics website or look up Ultrasound Fantagraphics, you can find it. But yeah, it'll be it'll be in stores properly in June. I'm pre-ordering the shit out of this right now. I'm clicking the buttons and everything. You're making this is what you got to do. You just got to (laughs) go zoom to zoom, make these sales. Rob has been on. I think this is your third, third or fourth appearance. Third time, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and you. Um, we're there early on for our prisoners episode. Um, oh yeah, featuring to God Roger Deakins working with Denis, and he has you know three key collaborators, right? He's got he's got Denis, he's got uh, the Cohen brothers, and he has Sam Mendes, who he has done four films with. I wanted to. We've been doing a lot of like '80s schlocky type stuff recently, and I wanted to schlocky. To <laughs> 
you know. My God. <laughs> so I was very excited for us to get to Roger Deakins and Sam Mendez' one-shot wonder, their World War I masterpiece, 1917. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be what we're on to tonight in the bottom of the hour. Just really quick, um, some business here. Next week on Dune Pod, spring break, baby. Yeah, spring break, Lake Havasu. We're just Where are you going? Get, what, what, what are you doing? Just, I'm getting lit on a banana boat. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. We're not doing anything really. I think we're just. I think we're just. I think we're just hanging around here for a while. Classic. Uh, yeah, we don't leave the house. I'm going to an airport for the first time in three years tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I got that going for me, but I don't know about spring break. We're gonna be on break. Um, we are. I'm going back to Austin. Uh, it's gonna eat some more barbecue uh, and drink <laughs> some more beer. So we'll be uh, we'll be on spring break next week. Um, but don't worry, Dune Pod friends. We have a special interview with Dune Scholar, and that yes. is Kara Kennedy. And she recently completed her PhD with the book "Women's Agency in the Dune Universe." Tracing Women's Liberation Through Science Fiction, um, which is really cool. If you're going to spend like five fucking years doing dissertations and shit, you might as well do it on something that's really cool and interesting. Um, and she yeah, has some it's pretty great. fascinating takes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is, it is awesome. Uh, it, I mean, I could say it's awesome because we've already done it, and it's a great book. She's a great interview. I'm really looking forward to folks hearing this one. Yes, so that is quite exciting. And then, in just two short weeks, we will be back with Ryan Condal, showrunner of a little show called House of the Dragon for HBO Max. Uh, and he is coming on to talk about the 1992 classic Western Tombstone. Yeah! We'll be your Huckleberry. Come on, come on down and check it out. All right, quickly, let's do some quick Dune news. Would you like to know more? I just have two things I want to call out. Um, the first is pre-production has officially, unofficially started. Jason, any follow-up on that? I mean, listen, I can't wait to get to the main part of Dune news. We have to talk about it in relation to the pre-production because, honestly, this podcast should be canceled and you should be at the pre-production right now wherever yeah. it's happening, trying to undo this Austin Butler situation for mm. it's I, the more I've thought about it, the more concerned I've been. It came out today that the guy who was the kid in uh, Cody uh, Smith McPhee, Cody Smith McPhee from P Power of the Dog was considered and he got bounced from the fade role. He seems like he would have been awesome. Uh, Space Monkey. In he said he didn't have the right build. I don't know what that means. That doesn't. I mean, he has the same build as Austin Butler. Like, have the same. you guys ever been bounced for not having the right build? More times than <laughs> it's I happened. It's happened. Uh, it's happened to me a couple times. Uh, in 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 chat, just off the dome, Space Monkey suggested Bill Skarsgård. Uh, yeah. for Fade, which is an, yeah. honestly an inspired choice. And Space Monkey, mm. obviously, you know, look. Man's been in a car accident. He's still able to come up with suggestions like that. So, like you know, like I don't know what the team, what team Denny is thinking. Like not just not considering this question more carefully. But the real thing that fucked me up is that Crystal and I were talking about fantasy literature recently. Oh yeah, 
And uh, I realized that uh, Austin Butler was Will Olmstead in the the Shannara Chronicles. Never seen uh, it. TV show. Never. And it's it. just dreadful in it. It's just dreadful. So I'm did just Favreau concerned. produce that? No. Okay. Maybe not. Uh, okay. Like someone's someone's <laughs> cousin produced it. Oh man, somebody worked hard on that show and it didn't work because it was like sexy teens doing yeah. doing fantasy stuff. They're like, we'll take Lord of the Rings and smash it with uh, Teen Wolf or whatever. Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think it held together. No. Rob is intrigued. He's like, "Yeah, that sounds actually." You had me. Yeah, (laughs) I watched that. Uh, At least six or eight episodes. Exactly. Well, that's all they they got. One season and and out. So, um, well, I, uh, Jason, I would just say I want to remind you that in I think it was episode one or episode two of this podcast, you I doubted Timmy. You doubted Timmy. Like you had concerns, uh, specifically based on that Colbert interview. Um, it's true. And you came around. So so don't give up hope. I think it's an appre- I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that uh I, I and bringing back my old mistakes because I definitely could be wrong. But yes. I'm just concerned. All right. Noted. Noted. Um all right, so moving on quickly, I just want to call out we are this episode is episode 90, which means this is officially the beginning of the march to 100. Episode 100 coming up in just 10 short weeks. So that's that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous situation. Is the reason the pandemic hasn't ended is because we keep doing this podcast? Like the fact, like the fact that a hundred of them, that's wild. The first hundred, yeah. Oh my god. I said I was in to do a couple. If you go back to the emails or the DMs, I'll do a couple two like, tree, two tree podcasts. Oh my god. A hundred. So far, so good. That's ridiculous. All right. I well, I haven't even been. I haven't been to Vegas a hundred times, and I love <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> well, now you've given birth to this beautiful community uh, and created something special that people depend on. So it's it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I've given birth. That's the image you should have. I want to call out. We had one new Discord friend who joined us. Obi Ren Kenobi. O-B-R-N Kenobi. She is a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's quite cool. Good God, name. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, just so folks know, by the time you're listening to this, uh, we are doing our Chuckle Hut screening of Tombstone. It will be mm-hmm. uh, happening on Wednesday night, so join us live in the Discord. Links in the show notes and check it out. All right, you guys ready to get into this? Let's do it. Yeah. All right, here we go. 1917 is a journey through darkness and death to honor the bonds of loyalty. In the depths of the Great War over a century ago, Lance Corporals Tom Blake and Will Schofield are given an impossible mission. Cross no man's land and venture deep into enemy territory to locate and warn two allied battalions that are about to be lured into a deadly snare by a German feint. 1,600 lives are on the line, including Blake's own brother. With no time to consider, they set off on a treacherous course, leading them across blasted landscapes, deadly underground tunnels, a nightmare hellscape of fire, and a literal river of the dead. Confronting the ultimate sacrifice with every step, 
Can they stay true to their honor and complete their mission? Or will it all be in vain as they draw their final breaths on an unmarked field in France in the spring of 1917? That's a good one. Kind of an easy title inclusion, in fairness, but uh, I felt it. I got chills. I thought about the fields. I thought about the fields for sure. Okay, at least 10 more of those. Getting those feels uh, yeah. and enjoying that. Um, so <laughs> and enjoying it. <laughs> so Connor, Connor, what was your first exposure to 1917? What's it, your first, what's your history with World War One? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you serve? Yeah, I was I was in the Somme. No, yeah. uh, this was actually the first time I saw it. I did not. I did not. Unfortunately, yeah. get to see it in the theater. Which um, after seeing it this weekend, I wish I wish I had because I think that would have been. Obviously, mm. the the ideal setting for him. yeah. This was this was my first time seeing it. Got it. And do you have a history with Roger Deakins and and Sam Mendez? I uh, I would say probably more with with Deakins than Mendez. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen I have not seen the whole uh, Mendez oeuvre. Oeuvre. But yeah, yeah, but but definitely a, a good a good good number of Deakins. Yeah. Nice American Beauty. Yeah, I've seen American Beauty for sure. Yeah. Skyfall. Skyfall. Yep. You're naming all yeah. the ones. Wait. I think there's like <laughs> two more that I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> Road, to Road to Perdition. Nope, I have not seen that either. Yeah, I wanna, I that's the graphic that novel adaptation that he did. Yeah, too. exactly. And Rob, how about you? I like them both. I, I I've seen um, a lot of a lot of both their movies, and um, saw 1917 in the theater uh-huh. uh, once, and then I saw it at home once or twice, and then I watched it um, two nights ago. It's it's interesting with all of Roger Deakins' work or films that he worked on. I uh, pretty soon I stop paying attention to the story, and I'm captivated by the cinematography, and I'm right. I'm figuring out how the hell he makes that magic happen. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Jason. So you you protested this film. You refused to watch it until this this view. That's right. That was right. <laughs> it was a boycott. <laughs> Um, not so much against the film itself, but, um, uh, historical drama as a category. Mm. I just don't believe uh, it. No, I, I just, I just missed this one, uh, because of babies and whatnot. I oh, really yeah. wanted to see it. And then it was like, uh, it just always felt like a stressful movie that I was going to have to watch at some point. And there's just a kind of a couple of movies where I'm just like, is tonight this night for this stressful fucking movie? Uh, and they never, and the answer is never yes. Yeah. Um, but I was, <laughs> so I was, I was happy when it got put on the pod for this episode, uh, because I've been wanting to see it and uh, obviously love Deacons. Uh, and I, I love World War One too, actually. Uh, and I've always thought there should be more World War One movies uh, yeah. because it's just like such a, you know, like a fascinating time period that I always thought there should be more World War Ones. Yeah. Yes. There should be more World War Ones. Why didn't they ever make a sequel to World War One? Yeah. So anyway, I was excited about it. I did see this in the theater and was obviously a big fan of Deacons by the time um this had come out. Uh but our dear friends over at 70 Millimeter, this was episode two of 70 millimeter was 1917. And I remember going to see it just to make sure that I was up to speed uh, on that. I will say for anyone, if you have not watched this movie, like I listen to tons of podcasts and I almost never get to see the movies that they're based on. Like this is definitely worth pausing the podcast. It's available for 10 bucks on movies anywhere in 4k. 
um, yeah. with all with incredible behind the scenes stuff. Um, so this would be a great one to like pause, watch, and and come back and check it out. Um, it is. Don't tell I, people to go away from our podcast. For God's sakes, <laughs> we're trying. I mean, this is a this is a real. Inter- We've done a hundred of these. Don't pause for shit. Listen to all previous 99 episodes of this show and then go watch a movie, for God's sakes. Okay, we that's need, fair. We need your reviews. That's also. fair. Five Thank stars. You. Just quick behind the scenes. So Sam Mendez, his grandfather would tell him stories of being in World War One, And the part that was interesting to me, uh, he was a messenger. So his job was to carry messages around the front. And the deal was his grandfather was five foot four. And apparently the fog in no man's land hung at about five foot, six inches. So he was able to essentially move around or that that was the theory that he could move around invisibly. uh, And he went on delivering all sorts of crazy messages. There was an actual mission called operation Albrecht. What's that stand Mm. for Jason? Albrecht. Yeah. Isn't that like Albrecht Durer, the famous engraver? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, uh-huh. so that there was a, a is piece based on, journal. is it based on wood cuttings? <laughs> I, it, is it a wood cutting mission? It, there would much wood was cut down to build those trenches. I can tell oh, you Jesus. that, but, All right. um, but they basically, the Germans did pull back and try and, and lure folks in, but it wasn't exactly the same way. So it's not a hundred percent, um, literal definition, uh, but quite cool. It was Alberic. Alberic. Interesting. Okay. Wood cuttings are out the window. It's not about wood cuttings. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I love about the, the description of this film is Roger and Sam working on, they, they basically found the locations and a lot of it were just these huge fields north of London. And they started just standing there because they had to literally time the a scene start to finish exactly where they would be walking, how fast they would be walking, how they would be delivering dia- lines of dialogue, where they would be turning and then they spent time digging out and building all of the trenches and, and getting that. Like, I, I don't know, Rob, I'll just ask you as a director, like, what is it? Does this seem like a nightmare to you? Like, is it inspiring? Like, how do you, how do you kind of think about what it must have been like to go through this? I had heard about that and uh, I thought it was fascinating because, you know, you have to set your marks and there's a lot of blocking, particularly in a movie like this. And, um, yeah, apparently they timed everything. And I think pre-production was probably longer than production. And um, they dug a mile of trench. It's amazing. Yeah. And built it and built it out, like and finished built it, it out, yeah. In yeah, in yeah. details. Like so gorgeous. That's like one of the first things that you realize when the movie starts and they go from the field into the trench and it's just going into the trench. Yeah. And then and you're just like, oh, they built the fucking trench. Like they clearly just built the <laughs> fucking trench. Like, you know, like there's no other way they could have done it. We're still in the trench. We're walking through the trench still. Like this is just they went out into a field and built a World War One trench. Check. Understood. That time the timing thing that you're talking about, um, you know, it appears to be one shot, but Apparently, it was 34 edits in that movie. So to make that happen, um, you know, there's a... Deacons was referring to it as blends. So there's, you know, the A side and the B side and the blend. And the thing about these these blends was what was crucial to get the end of the A side and the beginning of the B side to exactly match. So we spent a lot of time with playback 
looking at the frame that would be our mix and getting the actors in exactly the same place, the camera in the same place, the same relationship with the actors. And this is like, you know, these are some of the takes were nine minutes long. So they have to be walking, walking, walking for nine minutes, land at the exact same place where the blend is supposed to happen. And then the camera has to make the move and do the blend. So it's, you know, like it's, you can throw the story out the window. It's spectacular to watch just for the choreography. On a, yeah, on a technical level. Yeah, and it, 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 yeah, it brought to mind just like it, something that something that occurred to me in, in getting to like go to the set of 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 our movie, Rob, of like the sort of technical side of acting that you don't think about where it's like, oh, like you think about an actor's job being like to like embody a character, convince us that that character is real. But like you don't think about like the fact that they have to like walk to a certain point and like in a room and stop perfectly and remember where they were for the next take and you know be aware of where the camera is not go off screen like all of these things that are like such fine-grained detail and to imagine someone like trying to do a performance and hitting these like technical uh marks and stuff is is amazing and just like the amount of that for this movie is insane. Let me ask you this. I think it's less true for the acting, which comes across despite all of that as very naturalistic. Like particularly the lead actor, I think does an amazing job of finding his way through this, this completely technical uh, movie. I do find, and maybe this is just the way my brain works, that as with the trench thing, there's a part of the movie because it's so clearly this technical shoot that I am unable to escape the like artifice of it. Like not, not that it's not done well, it's done immaculately, but I like part of me is just how the hell did they do this the whole time? And like looking at the camera moves and, and just being really dialed into the movie making of it uh, in a way that maybe like takes me out of some of the world war one drama-ness of it. But I don't know if anyone. anyone this is else like your that. experience of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross being heightened in the dialogue, right? Yeah, I mean that is true. Like it's the same. It's the same thing where it's like at some point you become aware of the art making itself, and does that work for you? I mean that happens with a lot of Deacon's work too. Like if you watch um, No Country, um, when I watch it now, I see all that technical mastery. It's a great story, but. The mastery is like right up front. Too. You're like, oh, these are great shots. Yeah, yeah. The, there's something about that too. That that yeah was was sort of a stumbling block for me in in this movie too. Where it's like I went into it, I was like, okay, there's gonna be like like formalism is like like very forefront in the making of this. Like it, I mean, it's like right there in the advertising. It's like it's a one shot movie, and and then I feel like kind of beyond. Well, I yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe I'll be able to like explain this more as we go, sort of beat by beat. But I feel like there's there's certain things where I was maybe expecting it to be a little bit more Hitchcock in like playing with our expectations, playing with with the form the formal language of film more. And the fact that it's like it's a oneer, it's amazingly executed, but it is also kind of like played pretty like one hundred percent straight. Straight. Yeah. That I was sort of like, oh, that's interesting that you would like you would bring the like the formal aspects of filmmaking straight to to the Mm -hmm. front of our brain and then not like not subvert. Yeah. 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 And like not play in that in that 
area, just kind of deliver deliver a a, a story um, in in a kind of very straight ahead kind of fashion. The part for me is is the grounding in the environments uh, and the experience of of these folks, right? So even like Jason, you talked about that opening shot, them walking from the the tree and the grass. And then they begin to go into the tr- into the trench, and um, Deacons described it as you're seeing them be swallowed up by the trench yes. as they're moving. And there's so like yes. there's this beautiful undertone beyond uh, you know the mastery that's happening. Uh, and there's lots of things like that, whether it's the cherry trees later or the farm and getting there and, and getting out. There's just there's so many moments there that you're completely locked in and riveted um, in that space. Um, and to me. In the in uh, you know on the Team Deacons podcast, Mendez was he talked about how he was just pissed off because the number of times he was asked about the one shot being a gimmick, and he was like, "Real life is a one shot," and he's like, "If you don't know when you make a movie, there's cameras in there and there's editing and there's a lot of gimmickry that's happening." He's like, "This is the most honest uh, interpretation of capturing reality that we'll ever do." Um, so I thought that was a, a good way. My final take was it works fantastically. Even if it weren't a one shot, it would still work for me really well. Um, but I think it's even more, even more powerful in the way it is. hundred percent innocent. <laughs> I will never live that down. So they come through the trenches and we get Colin Firth. So how about this, this juxtaposition of, of two guys, you know, Blake has been acting Jason, what, 15 years or something, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Tommen from uh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, not a huge named actor, or George McKay, uh, who plays Will. Um, but suddenly we have Colin Firth. What's your reaction there when he comes on screen? Your Majesty, <laughs> <laughs> how are you, sir? He's great. He's yeah. He's he's a real he's a real hit. That guy. He's great. Love Colin mm-hmm. Firth. Uh, I mean, like in general, that's another thing that's a little wild is that like anytime they like round a corner and run into other people, it's like some amazing stalwart of British cinema that they like mm-hmm. bump into out in the field. I, it all work. It all works fine. But it is. I was just like anytime I was like, oh, they got to go find major whoever. I'm like, ooh, who's going to be like, is it like, you know, is it Daniel Craig? Like who else, who else is in this movie? Like, you know, <laughs> right, right, right. like, you know there's it's got to be someone fancy for sure. It's not just going to be some, you know, like third name from the British office or something like that. But yeah, I, I, I was excited every time. Colin Firth, I think, is one of the better. Pro- They're all pretty good. All the showy performances are pretty good. But Colin Firth is really strong. Yeah, I feel like he, he's, he's fairly understated in, in a yeah. really nice way. And not an asshole, right? Like uh, no. Mendez described it as uh, he wanted the actors to think the best of themselves and the worst of the situation. Hmm. Um, but he very quickly lays out the situation. Deliver this to Colonel McKenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions, 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. Any questions? No, sir. Good. There's no hesitation at all from Blake, and I love that. And I love that you have a full shot on Schofield as well. He is definitely not, like, locked in. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not locked in. He's not. He's not a hundred percent ready for this. Beautiful, just beautiful. The lighting in that in that scene is just so. 
Mm-hmm. It's also so the, for- it's also sort of like the first time. And one thing I loved in this movie is like the the laying out of of some sort of map or like some kind of expectation, and then and then then we like watch it unfold in in whatever way. But it's like that's sort of like the first time. Like, okay, they're here. You're gonna go here. It's even better when they're like when they get to the dude at the end of the trench. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. We'll get there in just a second. I love that though when they start walking into the trenches. The number of time I put in my notes, the score, the score. Like I cannot believe Thomas Newman um, and what he has done here. And he did Skyfall. He did Jarhead. Um, it was an obvious to- James Horner ripoff. The whole score. No, no, like, there's no James, no James Horner. But to me, All it was right. like a modern. Like I love the fact there was a lot of electronic stuff, but then beautiful piano stuff and cello stuff and strings and horns and and everything. Just. Incredible. So we have Andrew Scott, uh, who is there, and he's like at the end, and he's talking about like he. I love. I love every part of that of his performance, like from the like, what day is it? That that yeah. whole thing is so good, and his the holy unction, that bit. Mm. Uh, every, he he has yeah, it's such a good such a good part. But he gives that description. He tells them as yeah. they're going to go up and over into no man's land, and he says straight ahead to the left, past the dead horses. There's a gap directly behind them. Useful. Because if it's dark, you follow the stench. When you get to the second wire, look out for the bowing chap. There's a small break just beside him. The German line is 150-odd yards after that. He's just got such a, like, all right, fuck it. If that's what you're going to do, I've seen people die for stupider reasons this week. Like, yeah, he's just like, it's great. Love it. I feel like I heard Deacon say that one that had a lot of technical issues, like his lighter didn't work and there were all these things. And they did, like, 40 takes. Like, can Jesus you imagine Christ. him delivering that performance 40 That's probably 40 why he seems so, like, pissed and over it. <laughs> He's really, really embodying that. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that is brutal. I do love um, Schofield the whole time is pushing back um, in the midst of this and like, let's wait, let's wait till it's dark. Let's do, let's do whatever. But we get right to the moment and Schofield turns to him and says, you sure? Yes. And then he says, age before beauty and he doesn't hesitate. Schofield is the one who goes first into no man's land. And just this blasted to hell landscape, the horse, the bowing chap tied up on the, on, on the, uh, the fence. And um, just the way the camera, I think of the shot where they go into the giant bowl um, and the camera goes over the top. And then across and like, the water. Yeah, I'm like, how the fuck are they doing this? And so, listening to Deacon's um, director's commentary, like it starts with a guy on a handy cam, then he puts it to two guys who are carrying it on a thing, then they attach it to the crane, and the crane takes it over and around and down, and then it comes back and attaches back up into another guy who's carrying it, all in one shot. Yeah, it's amazing. That was, that was amazing. probably for me, like the going across the water bit was like the moment where I was like the most like okay this is a shot this is a real yeah. shot I gotcha like really yeah. really felt uh, foregrounded in a way yeah that, that kind of stood out maybe a little bit extra yeah yeah mm. so beautiful so beautiful so then they go into the into the trenches what do you think about going into the German trenches and then into the into the bunker uh, I I simply wouldn't go into the German trenches I I <laughs> I don't know, man. I got the it, it it definitely made me I was like anxious. It was like it had that anxiety that the third act of uh Full Metal Jacket has when mm. they're in the ville 
and you just know it's going to go bad. And like, you know, there's the sniper and they're just sneaking around walls and you're just like, it's just not going to go well here for them. Uh, and I had the same vibe in the German trench. I was like, a hundred percent, there's a booby trap, and a hundred percent, it's going to go bad in here. I you was just—you thought like you thought Morgat was down there, or Rene, yeah, exactly. Or the, I Be- will say, I, or I, I, I appreciate you bringing up Elden Ring uh, <laughs> because I didn't want to myself in the context of World War One. Uh-huh. But the uh-huh. general colors and vibes, a lot of the time, I was like, <laughs> uh, I was like, you know. Uh, you definitely got to check around the corner like you know like i'm sure someone's left a little a little sign that says you know first left or something like that because there's gonna be a dog that grabs you for sure that you're not gonna be seeing <laughs> that is something I that, ca- that i thought yeah, about ahead. with this with this movie too is like it like the one shot too is is the way you play a video game like a first yeah. person yeah. video yeah, game yeah, yeah, i feel yeah. like it's while I, I doubt Sam Mendes or Roger Deakins are big like Call of Duty mm-hmm. <laughs> like players or something, I feel like there's something about the the ubiquity of that language and that like that that sort of like framing of events in you know contemporary times that that I'm sure led to the decision to to make this movie in that way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Rob, how'd you like them lighting that whole thing just with our two flashlights? I thought it was really cool. Um, also, you know, the film has a lot of CG in it, but they did a very nice job. Like those rats. Yeah, were those rats? The rats CG? They couldn't, yeah. I don't think those were trained rats. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> the cows. <laughs> yeah. 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 The cows. Like all, all the animals were incredible. Like it looked super great. And the, the headlamp kind of lighting. I thought it was mm-hmm. really cool. And um, they also did a really good job of incorporating atmosphere, you know, yeah. like literal atmosphere, like dust in the air. And like when, when you're doing CG work, that complicates everything. But they, um, you know, they embraced a very complicated CG process. When they discover the tripwire down there under the ground and then it goes off. <laughs> The violence is so sudden and so intense. Yeah, it's really intense. And it's an, it's it's kind of amazing because it sort of has that car crash like effect where time slows down. Like you see the rat fall and the rat scampering towards the tripwire after they discover uh-huh. it. Like they discover the tripwire. You they've they've sh- they've placed the rat. You're already aware of the rat. The rat comes into view. The rat scampered down. They have this reaction to the rat. Like all of that can't possibly be more than seven seconds or something like that. <laughs> right, but you can, right. but it, it slows down even though it's in real time. Like that's a real magical bit of uh, of Business. filmmaking there. Yeah, mm. and that was that was like one of the things about the blends. You know where they blend two shots with mm-hmm. these kind of hidden edits. Um, that was a practical one that, you know, reflects like what a puzzle it was because they didn't need to do it for a camera or for performance or for any other reason, but the explosion happens and then it's a different set. There's like dust and debris everywhere. So they had to hide an edit to like switch sets, like, you know, yeah. bring in all that junk. Yeah. Cause yeah. they didn't obviously <laughs> blow up the place. They had to yeah. bury George as well. Yeah. Like that was amazing. Him coming out, the amount of dirt that he kicked out, uh, coughing, and then the fact that he's blind, 
and being pulled along and trying to find his way, the vulnerability there, the don't let go of me. The mineshaft thing was a little weird because then it really did start feeling like a, a video game platformer. Like yeah. it really did. Yeah. It really did. It really I was like, mineshaft, what? Like, they're digging extra? <laughs> haven't, haven't they dug enough? <laughs> Maybe it's a latrine pit, but I don't yeah, know. I'll yeah, allow maybe. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. allow it for the faith. Uh, I haven't, you know, yeah, the, I, haven't, I haven't done the research on that, but I was a little bit like, <laughs> they dug a whole mine shaft then after that? Yeah. That's where they were putting the uh, the unused wood carvings would go down into, uh, into, that, into that hole there. Um, I just, I love that, the two of them together. And I want to give a shout out to the sound design, which to me, this scene was so stunning because you could just hear the thing collapsing and it, incre- it like the tension was so taut. Um, I love that. But, but here's the thing. Like once, once Schofield is out of the rubble though, I was like, I, I did like, like as a viewer relax, I was like, Oh, oh they're both, really? they're both, they're both up and out. Oh, there's a one shot movie. They're going to, they're going to make it out. We're fo- we're following them. It's not like they're going to, you know, switch it up. Right. That that was a moment where I became aware of like I know like I know the like the sort of like convention set up here and so I did feel like it sort of cut the te- cut the tension back a little bit. Mm, I don't know yeah. did anybody else like I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Like you do become a, that I mean that's kind of goes to like my, it's a different version of the thing I was saying as well which is like you 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 it's you do sometimes come out of what's actually happening to the characters because you become you're starting to think about the conventions of filmmaking more, or at least I was. Yeah. Um, which is also like a thing that happened for me in like Gravity, which is another movie that I love. But mm. but th- like some of the bigger thematic things in Gravity, like really just don't matter to me. Like, you know, her whole rebirth and stuff like that. I'm just like, I don't know, blah, whatever. Like this is about doing this really amazing technical challenge in space, which seems great. And here it's like, oh, yeah, like I, I think this is a better movie than that. But there's elements of that that I agree with as well, where I end up becoming aware of the filmmaking conventions more than the 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 story itself. Mm. Well, I'd like this. There is this moment of uh, of downtime after they get out of this. Um, and you do have a bit of the tension. And Schofield said, I wish you'd pick some other bloody idiot. I wish you'd pick some other bloody idiot. What? Why in God's name did you have to choose me? I didn't know what I was picking you for. No, you didn't. You never know. That's your problem. So I like the fact that there's a challenge. Uh, Schofield is like he, his life has just been saved uh, by Blake, mm-hmm. but he already had that sense of honor. I think that was going to be there, and it was just mm-hmm. nice bit of tension here between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I like that too. How do you do that in a script without making it heavy handed, uh, making it natural? Like, what's the what's the key there? You just make everything heavy handed, and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> nothing stands out drop drop the hammer all right well so now we have the farmhouse uh and and the move down and i love this as they leave the blasted quarry with all of the the shells and everything's gray and smashed up and suddenly there's a transition where it becomes green again although the farmhouse itself is like totally you know uh trashed out but all of the stuff with the cherries and, you know, Blake describing the different kinds of cherries and, and how they make them. Um, I, I, just... I thought the line, the line about like how the even though they cut down all the, the cherry trees, like the, the pits were going to rot and there would be more trees than before. I thought that was. Yeah, poignant. that was like a nice kind of throwaway line that, that had a lot of like thematic and 
Yeah, a lot of resonance there. I liked that line a lot. Mm-hmm. There was quite a bit. Uh, there's some discussion here about um, uh, Schofield says that he he traded his medal. First, he says that Blake will definitely win a medal, but then he says that he traded his own medal for a bottle of bottle uh, wine. A bottle of wine. So, what do you make about this? This idea of like one of the guys before they go in to talk to the colonel or the general, he says you might get a mention in a dispatch. Yeah. Um, or it's a you know a, a medal or whatever. Like, what? How do we think about? how these guys were thinking about that portion of it. I think what Schofield Schofield's story is that, and this relates to this being a personal story for Sam Mendez as well and related to his like family history. I think Schofield's story is that he went home on leave. It was horrible because he was confronted by the reality of he was with his family, but he had to leave them again. It's, he's, it's so hard for him to be apart from his family uh, that he doesn't even talk about having kids he doesn't even want to talk about like who his family is uh for 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 the pain that will cause to invoke that in this hell world that he's in uh and so he's just there to do this job um because that's what he has to do but all of the other stuff the honor glory any of that doesn't matter for him all he's doing is to just do the thing that he's there to do so that he can go home again and and have that life again um but he can't even think about that life while he's there so all the other stuff medals and whatever just isn't part of the calculus for him i i watched um uh jarhead in preparation for Mm -hmm. this watched it on the flight and um it has such a huge theme of like the girlfriend back home, like everyone there's just constantly ribbing everybody that their girlfriends and their wives are cheating on them and, you know, just getting railed by Jody, which is the name they make up for whoever, whoever they're with. And and that whole concept of keeping it hidden versus putting it in, rubbing it in your face as a, as a way of camaraderie or hardening or something. Um, it does reflect a difference in our culture between now and, and world war one. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, the thing that's also like kind of, you know, kind of crazy about this whole situation that's also hard to remember is that like the UK uh, had like the UK lost a million soldiers during World War One. Like they lost a million people and they had one point seven million people wounded. It was an unbelievable meat grinder like every like there were villages that uh, were just wiped out of every young man that lived there like you go you go to england you go to the uk and it's true of other countries as well for world war one but you just see these cenotaphs uh, listing like the names of the dead from world war one and it is everyone like it was everyone that was in the village that was of military age and you know and it's this it's both because of the type of war that world war one the length of the war uh and they and so like at this point in 1917 there was no more illusions of it being a war that was going to end soon like they knew that it was just going to be this war of inches that was just about as i said towards the end of the movie like the last man standing and like that produced this very grim resolve of just we're just gonna keep doing this until we either go home or we die and yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's one of the reasons why World War One is such a f- fascinating like subject is because it is like this, you know, all wars are existential crises, but like it really was one where it felt like it was all gonna just go, you know, everyone was just gonna die in this one. Um, yeah, it's yeah. also like I think about the at least like the you know what I what I've you know heard and read about about World War One. It just being like it was sort of like. 
the world didn't realize like what this new form of warfare was. They it's yeah. sort of like the it, technology. It, it, yeah, yeah, it really seems like a, like a, like so much of it seems like almost like accidental. Like even like the start of the war was sort of like this domino falling thing that like was an un- unintentional uh, sort of side effect of the way you know global alliances have been formed at that time. And so like they it was like all these things was like globalization had like was just at its at its start. The industrial revolution was kind of like just at its like probably i don't know zenith yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like midpoint zenith yeah and and so it was just like nobody nobody was ready for what it was and no one had any idea like or any guess of like what what the outcome would be and that was something that i was like in in watching it like this i I watched it twice and like watching it the second time i was thinking about that like in terms of like why why shoot it this way and everything and i think that that was actually a really good choice for something where it's like the scale of it was just so overwhelming at it in its time and even now like you were saying like just like you know like it's hard to fathom like everybody who was of of fighting age being wiped out from a generation Impacted. yeah mm-hmm. that like that it is just like the like atomic like human scale like one one two people one person you know and we're mm-hmm. following them through this through this landscape i thought that was that made sense mm-hmm all right, Rob, I was going to ask you about uh, drinking fresh cow's milk. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. It's good for you. It's supposed to be really good. I like the idea that they were like really, like he was stoked. He seemed very fired up, and I was thinking he probably has, like he was excited earlier finding dog meat uh, to eat. So I guess that's a, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. Um, but Rob, how about this shot? So they're they're at the farmhouse. They see there's a dogfight going. They see one of the the German plane gets shot down, and it goes down below the horizon. And then it comes back over the horizon and comes yeah. and crash lands. Like, is this like one of the greatest shots in cinematic history? Well, it, you know, I I did have the benefit of uh, Roger explaining it uh, in the. <laughs> in the commentary and, you know, all those videos about how they made it. So, you know, it's spectacular and it's a mix of so many different things. There's CG planes on a horizon and there's a real crash, um, which was a kind of a set piece. And then there was the actual burning plane that had a gap cut in it so that the Steadicam could walk through it. Did you see that? Yeah. I think yeah, I like saw it, that. I saw that in like a yeah, in a behind the scenes thing. Yeah, it's crazy. But like every one of these setups has all of that, all of those giant technical challenges, puzzles that they solve, and then just the execution of every single thing. Like, you know, if, if you're shooting something in the house with your iPhone and you walk outside into the daylight, right, your, right, your phone freaks out. Like every camera does that, and they manage to pull off like. All those crazy iris zoom, you know, like like all the focus is amazing. Like, and maybe it's forty takes every time, but like that sequence is phenomenal. Yeah, and they were using this like new camera. I mean, like it's it's that was one of the details that was the 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 craziest to me is they basically got off the production line this new like ultra weight iris um, that from Ari. Yeah, yeah, like or yeah, sorry, Ari. Like and, and like they. And it just seems like a crazy risk to just be like, all right, let's try to fucking do this thing that's never been done with this camera that's never been used. Like that, <laughs> that part seems that part seems nuts too. But the picture was so stunning, and the camera was so small. Um, 
It's just incredible. like that sensor had been in a bigger camera, right? Uh, Ari Alexa LF. But what's crazy about shooting with a large format camera, which we did on our movie too, uh, is that you have a very shallow depth of field, just yeah, mm-hmm. almost all the time. So unless it's really bright out, so you know it, it's stunning, but it makes everything more Feel difficult. Close. Yeah, yeah. That was like the first thing I noticed uh when they show like some of the trench stuff i was like oh you can see all the way to those trees like those are all the way back there i wonder how they i wonder what they used for that <laughs> I like mean, the, the, the part that you know you you don't see with 40 40 takes is that you know you're on set there's these moments where everyone's captivated by the performances and someone does something so special and you don't know if they can ever do it again and then the cinematographer is like I, i'd like another yeah you're like <laughs> What happened? He's like, uh, his eye wasn't in focus. I, you know, yeah. I don't know. Something happened. I just want to do one more. And you're like, do we have it or don't we have it? And it's like, we don't have it. Like, uh, do it. Let's do it again. Do it again. And then you hope the actor can, you know, deliver it again. But I was stunned that, that they, uh, Roger said they would, once they had like the perfect shot, then they would remove everybody and just shoot the background. They would do it again and shoot the background so that when they needed to remove the crane or whatever that was in the shot, they would be able to like perfectly digitally um, accomplish that, which was, was stunning. So uh, just to pick up the pace here a little bit, I mean, this moment where they rescue this German from the fire of the wreckage of the plane, and then you follow Schofield who goes to get water, and then he turns around to George, uh, to Tom having been um, stabbed. It's just that sinking feeling of like, no, why did this happen? How did this happen? And I his didn't death. Know he was going to die. I was so surprised that he died in this movie. I really right? thought they both really? were going on an adventure together. It uh, somehow didn't get spoiled for me. I was like, I was like, oh, but he's in the trailer a bunch. Like, he can't be dead at this point. It's too soon. Connor, you saw it coming? Yeah, this is the one. This is where I was like, I wish, I wish there was a little more Hitchcock in in Sam Mendes' uh-huh. approach because, like, the very first shot, we're not on Blake, we're on Schofield, and so I'm like, yeah. okay, no, no, it this starts is our on guy. Blake. It starts no, on it's, Blake. It's it's his we got face, Schofield. We and got then Schofield. It comes over to Schofield on the because uh, oh, I I double checked that over. right. Okay, it, it's 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 uh, flowers. And then Blake on the side, but yeah. Schofield on but we the land, right. We land on Schofield. So For sure. he tells he tells us that. He's like, we're good. We're the landscape, Blake, Schofield's the guy. And so I was like, I, I feel I felt like I knew that already. And and I, I sort of wish that like the camera had loved some more on Blake and we had maybe had Schofield on the side a little bit more leading up to that so that it would have been more shocking. I think it would have would have gotten me more. Rob, how about you? How about you? I I like the hit like Connor's Hitchcock take like I you know and they the brother is such a big piece yeah as a a motivation too Mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah and it's more heroic if it's somebody else's brother that you're saving right Yeah. yeah yeah well Connor you're a smarter man than me that's for sure I to me I was completely blindsided by this not not expecting this at all. And I, of course, the trailer showed Schofield running across the field, but I, I did not kind of connect that of thinking he was going to be the, o- the only one at all. Um, also, I love just him dying um, and him saying, Talk to me. Tell me you know the way. I know the way. 
I'm going to head southeast until I hit a coast. I'll pass through the town and out to the east, all the way to Quasiel Wood. It'll be dark by then. That won't bother me. I'll find the second. I'll give them the message. And then I'll find your brother. Just like you. A little older. It's a that's amazing, yeah. It is amazing. That was great. It's it's a great it's a great death. It's a really good scene. The music stops when he dies, and it's not like a cheesy heartbeat. Like it's this yeah. amazing music that is just sort of driving it through, and then it's just gone. And they like digitally pale his face like progressively as he bleeds out. That that really got me. I was like, ooh, this is real. That that felt really real. Where you're like, he's getting pale. Like this. Is I a hundred percent noticed the paling of the face, and I ha- I didn't. Even said I didn't, that he didn't do that in post. That he doesn't know how it happened. He said it they happened bled, naturally. They bled that dude out. He I died. Don't know. <laughs> what did they say? It's, a it's so bomb. extreme, especially when they're like dragging him across yeah. the the field. Yeah. He's like he's like white. That's, That's maybe I another didn't... shot. That's maybe another shot. But the moment of him dying and stuff, he does get more pale. Um, yeah. But they they didn't edit that part of it at least. They bled what? they bled him out. He had leeches. <laughs> he on had his leeches. Feet. Yeah. Yeah. No. They're like, I, look, dude, it's your last scene. And they like, had to you, do they had to do a second it, take where they took out the leech the leech wranglers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the leech wranglers, a subsidiary unit of the rat wrangler. Uh, the yeah. the I didn't think it was digital. I didn't know if it was digital, but I de- but like in it's this so moment pronounced. Where I, yeah, where I didn't know that this character died and I see him growing visibly pale. I was like, holy shit, this is a real situation, man. Like, this is like... Gonna- when, he, when he asks if he's dying, that that was yeah. quite a moment. And he's like, I believe you are. Woo! Tough one. Tough one for him. Entering frame, uh, you know, very shortly thereafter are some of the most amazing boots I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> so we finally arrived at Mark Strong um, as the captain, which I oh, loved yeah. him, Captain Mark Smith. Strong is and delightful. this is a moment Great where, outfit. like, do you guys think, I feel like this is a moment where they, like, I think, like, intentionally, I think, like, time is, like, kind of, like, squeezed here because I feel like those soldiers arrive too fast and there's too many of them to have, like, not noticed that. I think that there's, like, I think Schofield spent some time just like with with Blake in that field and and they kind of yeah. like sp- sort of speed it up in the telling of it or something. I don't know if yeah, you guys yeah, yeah. I had that. that as a nit when the first time I saw it. Yeah. I, I I didn't like that. And then watching it again the two times this this last couple of days, I was totally fine with it. I was just like he's completely in the moment. He is right. so obsessed in in getting that done. Right. Um and they literally don't have a time jump. So I think it's just that he he does not notice. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that the guys are like really – they're really like stoked that they actually have a wall to piss on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, the, these soldiers are like, how great. Like we're, we're really living it up today. Um, that whole – but the whole ride, them going there. I think the biggest thing there is him kind of motivating them once the truck hits the ditch and gets stuck and kind of literally willing them to get mm-hmm. back out. But now we finally have the arrival at Ekust uh, and the shot of going over the bridge. Tough one. This again has a lot of like uh, Full Metal Jacket in the Ville. Oh yeah, vibes yeah. For like you know, it's like it's darkish. It's like you know, some crepuscular sniper is out mm-hmm. there. Could you guys balance? Could you balance getting across, just like walking across the bridge to jump over? Like even that seemed very difficult to me. Yeah, probably. 
uh, be very, very, very tough. Especially Connor's after. like, I could do it. I no, no, it. I'm saying, I'm saying, probably <laughs> be. I, I would probably fall in the river, especially after like, yeah, getting buried in rubble and losing a friend, and then. Listen, like as soon as I ended up with the barbed wire through the hand, yeah, exactly. Like the barbed wire through the hand and the unpasteurized milk, I would have done me in for sure. Like uh, (sighs) the hand thing is a bit of a red herring. They, they, I feel like they spent, they they really give us the detail of him like cutting his hand and then sticking it into that corpse. I was like, oh, so he's gonna die of sepsis. Zombie, yeah, no, no, he's gonna turn into a zombie. Yeah, we're gonna watch his like hand rot off. Yeah, he's gonna turn into a zombie. Yeah, it becomes it becomes like sunshine in the third act. It's just suddenly a very surprising zombie movie, like a zombie right. horror movie. But so w- once like the shots start going off and Schofield's running, and then he there's a tower that he is shooting up into. And by the way, all of those shots, Roger was the one operating the camera for that, actually shooting the camera, standing up to uh, you know like to to see the shower the tower shot, and then ducking back down. That's with, why he's uh, so thin. He's doing a lot of he's burning a lot of calories on these shoots. Amazing. But once you have shot into that tower and you have a moment of peace. Jason, are you ready to like run into the tower where there's a German soldier waiting to kill you? Like, what is the probability that happens? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing any of this stuff. <laughs> I honestly like, like, I'm not doing any of it. Like, it's just like, like as I've said before, my plan for the purge, if the purge ever happens and I'm caught out on purge night, is to just turn myself in for execution because like I can't, I can't be, I can't be bothered to like try to run and hide. So you I'm at least just, don't like, have to wait. Like, that's I'm better. lying down in a ditch. If any of this happens to me, for sure. Uh, him getting knocked out. This is the the only real cut in the movie, official cut um, in the film. Mm. Um, but that idea, as he starts to wake up and the music swells here, this is the strings that are just so incredible. And as he opens up that door and you begin to see the shadows coming in through the window. This stuff is wild. I've never seen this look before in a movie, like where yeah. it was meant to be natural like it was meant to be like you know like practical lighting and not like some kind of dream sequence i was like am i hallucinating at this point like what are we hallucinating with him like what are we doing here you have no idea that it's the the that it's the flares uh until you know it kind of unpacks it that is a real choice man our guy went for it on that one. Did you see the did you see the behind the scenes stuff where they built a model and they had like track that they were running the the flares on to to map where yeah. the how the shadows were going to go and everything? It was a lot. Well, yeah, so we're now it is time to talk about Dennis Gasner who is the production designer on this uh, yeah. film and built the models uh and then also built the city, built the trenches, all of that stuff. So listen to this. Started on the Hitcher uh, which our oh, dear friends, fun. yeah, that is Bat such and Spider a good movie. just talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, Chuck Forsman, our dear friend, uh, and Dale over on their 100th episode of Bat and Spider um, did the Hitcher. So he started there. Field of Dreams, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink, Waterworld, Jarhead, Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, King Shit. Man, this guy yeah, is badass. He's good. The guy seems good. <laughs> He seems good to me. I would hire him. Does I'm he do fucking weddings? pissed he didn't Does get he the do, Oscar. Like, he, he lost out to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think is is a shame. That seems bad. Hmm. Damn. Hell on earth. Like, how do you like? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. I was gonna say this is definitely Yakust is is hell, right? He like crosses a river to get in there. He crosses a river to get out. It's in darkness. He like dies basically, right? He like gets shot and it goes black. And then he's mm-hmm. he's in hell. 
This is mm. how the church is, is how. on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the other? For what sure. Was the other? Yeah, he's in. It's yeah. the realm. It's like it's hell, or it's like the the realm of night. He yeah, he has to he has to kill somebody to get in and kill somebody to get out as well. Mm. Yeah, I a hundred percent had the same thought as I was when I was like I was like oh this is like some Dante shit right now. Yeah, like we've just fully gone like into a metaphorical world. Yeah, uh, yeah. Rob, you ever want to have eighteen hundred lights as part of a setup? That was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, I mean, that was another example. There was smoke in the air and atmosphere and they painted in a burning church. Yeah. Like it, it looked incredible. When that guy yeah. comes out of the shadows, though, oh, so good. I was like, yeah, holy that, shit. That silhouette. Yeah. That, oh my yeah, that God. just sort of like silent acting of, of him coming across and then pausing that, that is a And then starting bit. to run at him. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. God damn. So he like he finds a, a, a girl who has uh, taken care of a baby. He gives her the milk that he got. He strangles a soldier uh, to try and find his way out. He gets chased out. He ends up jumping into the river. Apparently, they actually shot him in the river with a 50-foot crane on a truck driving next to the river. So they didn't explain how he didn't drown. I guess he was like some kind of buoyancy to hold him above water, but hold him from not going too far. Like that was insane. Yeah, that was insane. Jesus. This part Christ. was stressful. It had some no country vibes, right? Yeah. It did yeah. have some no country vibes. Yeah. They should have had the dog chase them. <laughs> they shot the dog. dog. Yeah. Uh, he ends up climbing over dead bodies at the bottom of the river, coming out of the river sticks. Um, and he breaks down, he breaks down crying. Um, and then he begins to hear some singing and begins walking up through the woods. And this, these woods are so gorgeous. And him walking up through them to this music, it is some otherworldly elvish shit going on. I'm going home to see my mother and all my loved ones who I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over home. Shit was intense. It was beautiful. And it, it it is like the again, like the Dante thing. It's like emerging from the underworld and like, you know, seeing the stars or whatever and like being you know, you're now back among the the land of the living. He's like, you know, you know, even got baptized in water before that happens. Like uh, it's a whole it's a whole thing that's happening at this point. Which huh. is again which is again kind of like gravity, where it takes on this sort of like the third act of that movie becomes this very religious allegory uh situation. Um, which maybe is just how you have to finish one of, of well, yeah, of I mean, it, it maps, it maps really well to like the, the, the Campbellian mm-hmm. mon- monomyth stuff. Even like, I was thinking about like meeting the, 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 the woman in the basement. It's like the, the meeting with the goddess mm-hmm. and it, it seems like she like heals him too. Like yeah. that, that all, that also felt like very supernatural. Like she like touches his head and it seems like it, it like heals his his wound because it seemed like he was pretty fucked up from that prior the idea of having kindness after being in the field for a year or whatever and having no human intimacy um like would mean so much uh that to me was super powerful i love yeah and and i I also noted it's like the second time somebody asks him to talk Mm. Mm. 
like when when mm-hmm. Blake is dying, he asks him to. He's like, keep talking. Mm. Yeah, and, and then she she asks him to to keep talking for like the the baby, and so again, it's a sort of like symmetrical thing of like someone asking him to talk as they leave life, someone asking him to talk for like a new life too. Mm-hmm. Life finds a way. I thought was cool. That that moment to me was was beautiful. Like people ultimately will care for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I didn't nice. catch until the the second time I watched it that it wasn't her baby either. She like right. didn't, she had just found it and was taking care of it, which is mm-hmm. even more like beautiful and strange. Mm. So now we get to, you know, him trying to find Colonel McKenzie. This idea of like the troops are all locked and loaded and like he's trying to get people to call off. They're going over in 30 seconds or one minute and he's trying to get them to not go. It's like, that's not going to happen. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah. And, and also like we, we didn't talk about I feel I feel like it was such a great detail. Mark Strong. Was the guy yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When he's like. Make sure there's make sure have witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Make sure there's witnesses. That was that like, was like, oh, ooh, shit. You're like ooh, yeah. <laughs> that that's a bit of like you know the, the sort of like mapping out, and you're like, ooh, it's like you know it's gonna be hard to get there, and then you know it's gonna be even harder to like yeah. when you accomplish that. And and yeah. the, the ending too, like it felt. I don't know if you guys have dreams like this, but I feel like it, it felt very dreamlike, like trying to run against people. Trying to get people to, to like yeah. believe you when you're like you're like yelling something like no you right. have, you all have to stop like that that just felt very like a, a stress a stress dream in like a really like powerful poignant way to me but that moment of conveying his conviction right this guy tells him that the colonel is 300 yards and across and there's no way to get to him and you just see him stand up and start walking and I love it you can hear the guy in the background what the hell are you doing Lance Corporal no 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 and then he just takes off uh again Rob what a shot holy fuck right they said 450 extras yeah and real explosions it's insane yeah amazing Uh, I mean yeah you yeah you see so far yeah Incredible. So he, he makes it across. One of the greatest shots ever. That that shot, I mean, that that definitely works for me. Like, I was fucking going when that, like, at that point. Griffin had gone to sleep by then, so I was able to fully enjoy that one. I was <laughs> yeah. like, all right. I, he was not I supposed to get knocked down multiple times. That was not of course uh, not. in the play. Like, I, some, I knew that, like, just sort of watching it unfold. I was like, oh, he fucking just ate shit. And, like, they're going to keep <laughs> running this for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I ha, even having seen that scene, like excerpts of it or whatever, it still totally worked for me. Uh, that's amazing shit they did. So he comes down. He's able to get into the colonel. This is Cumberbatch, um, who is pissed and kind of pushing back. But then once he reads the letter and he hears the fact that it's a setup, he immediately calls off um, the attack. He's a chiller. But I do love this moment. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. That's it for now. And then next week, Commander send a different message. Attack at dawn. There is only one way this war ends. Last man standing. And he's not he's not wrong. I mean, this is like this this is like the thing about, you know, war war movies and like uh, you know this like depiction of like unrelenting resolve is like usually that person's right like historically that 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 person usually is is proven to be correct that it's just like yep this is gonna suck for everyone until it stops and 
you know, you're either gonna, you're either gonna be there at the end of it or not. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. It was, it was, I I love that performance by Cumberbatch. It was very understated and and, Mm -hmm. uh, a good one. And then also Connor, after kind of being the one yelling and the crazy one, like all of a sudden, like it's done, he's made it. Uh, and Cumberbatch tells him to fuck off. Yeah. Uh, and so he leaves to go find. And he gets, Blake. but he gets the he gets the well done lad from the from that yeah. older guy. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like that's like an important bit of closure for the for us and the the audience to be like, yeah, it was well done. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no idea that Richard Madden was in this film. Rob Stark yeah. from Game of Thrones, the and King in the, the North. The way this unfolds with this single shot over Schofield's shoulder as he's telling him, um, and Schofield says, If I may, I'd like to write to your mother. Tell her that Tom wasn't alone. Of course. He was... He was a good man. Always telling funny stories. He saved my life. Oh, I'm glad you were with him. That was the first take. Mm. It's the first take. The first shot of the movie? That was the first No, that was shot? the first take with uh, Richard Madden. Oh. That was it. He got to go home after that. He was yeah, done. It's- he was like, that's a wrap for Richard Madden. His face was incredible. The yeah, uh, the good. emotion was so intense. I, I would like him to find other projects that are good uh, to be in Richard Madden. He seems like a good one. So he walks over, he heads, uh, and he sits down at the tree. Um, there was a lot of debate between uh, Deacons and Sam about how far away the tree should be, how long can he walk uh, without the audience getting bored and having the emotion. And so Sam and and and, and Roger debated that a bunch. Um, but to me, it was perfect. And him pulling out the photos to reveal his family. Like, to me, there's your Hitchcockian twist um, to, to get that additional character reveal at the last moment and then him closing his eyes in credits. God bless. Great movie. Mm. If... Um... If IMDb trivia is, is to be believed, there was an extra that that revealed that like that was the the pissing tree on set, and they had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea that was going to be like the pivotal, uh, the Not you know the, the, piss the tree. Yeah, they were like, oh man, that's the tree that we all would piss at, piss on when we were shooting the infirmary scene. That's <laughs> it, fucking hilarious. More realistic. Oh my gosh! All right, Connor, your final rating and review for nineteen seventeen up to five stars. Letterboxd rules. You know, I I I I watched it and rated it three on a first watch, and I think Ooh. three three point five on a second watch. Wow! I, okay. I, I appreciated it more on the on the second watch. Okay. All right. Very good. I was giving it the German soccer coach uh, dot gif uh, there. All right. Three and a half. <laughs> All right, your truth. We will we will accept it, Rob. I I'm I'm more generous. I, I'm going to go four and a half. Mm. Four four and a half. I you know the technical achievement is uh, phenomenal. Like you can't watch it and not appreciate just how much went into getting it right, and you know it's it's remarkable. I I love it. Amazing. Amazing. Jason. 
I'm I'm uh, with Rob. I'm at four point five. I think just because of the the technical like uh, the technical achievement of the film and like just how amazing the filmmaking is like just deserves a lot of credit. My previous objections about like I wasn't at into some moments of it are still some of my objections. Um, but uh, I do I do love the way it's all put together. So four point five, one one of the great ones. All right, very good. I for me. This is a, a like five star movie. This it was definitely a five star movie for me, uh, but it not because of the technical aspects of it. Like this, th- this film works for me completely on an emotional level, and it's a combination of the performances by the actors and the score. Um, that every time I watch it, it just hit me harder and harder. Obviously, it's gorgeous and cinematic, and uh, the production design in particular. But it, it's the shots are not the thing for me. Um, it is more the environment that they created, um, and the reality, and the fact that you're locked in. They described it as the 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 purpose of the one shot is you can't escape, you can't look away, and you can't be distracted. You are locked in, um, and for me, it worked one hundred percent. Rob, who would Tilda Swinton play? It would have to be Cumberbatch. Right? Yeah, be yeah. Cumberbatch mm. Mm. Maybe it's an easy that's one. a good. That's a good call, Colonel McKenzie. Colonel McKenzie. Yeah, would mm. definitely be strong there. Connor, you agree with that one? Yeah, or um, or Colin Firth, just to just to up the up the ante on the like turn the corner and which British actor you're gonna see, just to like raise the bar real high straight at the beginning. I'm gonna cast. 1992 Orlando Tilda Swinton as Schofield. She definitely has the vibe uh, and would be perfect, I think, in that role. And I would love to see her do that. Mm. Jason? I would have Tilda Swinton. Well, we talked about wanting to see her as a general. So I would have her as the Colin Firth role. I think it would be interesting to see her as see her as like the most senior military person in the movie. Hmm. Awesome. All right. We did it. Uh, Rob, Connor, what do you guys have to plug? We've got our movie, our Ultrasound. Watch it okay. on video video on demand, anywhere you want. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I, I have, I've seen it. It's great. People should definitely check it out. We also made an awesome uh, zine oh, yeah. that uh, oh, yeah. promotes, promotes the film with, with a lot of incredible comic artists. Tunde Adebimpe. Robert Beatty, mm. Liam Cobb, Antoine Cosse, Chris Day, Anna Heifish, Sammy Harkham, Joe Kessler, Malachi Ward, Lale Westvind, and myself. I love it. How do we get it? How do we order that? Uh, through Secret Headquarters, or I have them in my uh, online mm. shop as well. Golly, Secret Headquarters does it again. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. We will include a link uh, to that in the show notes. Thank you guys so much uh, for coming. We really, really appreciate it. Jason, we did it. We did it. Great episode. So those guys had to those guys had to bail out uh, because I don't know press junkets or something like that. I think we hit. It's our... hard being a filmmaker. They got to mm. go set up their eighteen thousand lights. That's a hell of a lot of hell of a lot of pressure. All right. Well, how about if we get into some letters? Letters. Boom. All right. So first of all, our first letter comes in from. We only have one right now. So here we go. Here's our here's our first letter. Hey guys, Kev here. First of all, just want to say congratulations to the guys who made Ultrasound. What an awesome movie. A really well done psychological thriller. 
in the lo-fi sci-fi genre if you guys are into that. Definitely worth checking out. $7 rental on Vudu, so pretty good deal. H, it was great to meet you last week. I'm so happy that we met up. Thank Hell you for that. Yeah. And Jason, I heard you in the Discord, but um, I don't <laughs> know. Are there any mid-80s genre movies that I have any emotional attachment to that I can come on DunePod to talk about? I don't know. Uh, again, it's a mystery. <laughs> That's a great one. That's perfect. Kev's question this week, of course, stems from not just 1917, but from ultrasound. A lot of times in ultrasound, you guys, there's a technique where we're in the corner of a room and it's a super wide angle. And as a result, even though we're spatially aware of what's going on, we're on Mars, basically, (laughs) compared to the rest of the film. And so as the sound design does for the rest of the picture, we're pretty much completely alienated. 1917, of Mm. course, is Deacon's big continuous shot movie where we use some trickery to stitch things together and it all looks like continuous action. My question to you, what are your favorite visual gimmicks and tricks in film? Um, I don't really have any other examples. So this is the end of the voicemail. Uh, Take care, guys. Thank you very much. Once again, it's Kev's Questions. Love Kev's questions. I'm excited that Kev's going to be on the podcast to do Little Shop of Horrors. Did you know that there are six staff crew crew members who both worked on Little Shop of Horrors and Dune 1984? No. Yeah. Like special effects people, like uh, like puppet people? Multiple departments. Special effects, camera, and three people from sound, editorial. It's a lot. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Kev, it, it, so so Kev was like, uh, yeah, I can come over. Like, uh, you know, we can meet. I was like, hey, can you meet me in Tribeca? And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. It's easy to get to. He didn't tell me he was coming a hundred streets, Jason. To well, he didn't. Down. I assume he took the subway a hundred streets. Like if a hundred streets, the number of streets isn't that like significant if, you know, there's if the stops are coordinated. Uh, he took the uh, express okay. train all the way downtown. Took the uh, listen, express. okay, sorry, a. city mouse. I'm country mouse from Marin, so like it seems like a long way. <laughs> okay, it was a big, it was a big, it was a big, it was a big, uh, it was a huge inconvenience because Kev loves us. Um, also, Brian Mosley came out uh, of our Cloud Atlas. That. Brian was 100% innocent uh, of coming and hanging out with us for beer. That's so, great. Yeah, it was really awesome. great. We will come to your city eventually. Um, so get in the discord and tell us where you want Dune pod to come meet up with you next. I'm going nowhere, but it will go. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what's your answer on, um, on your favorite? We have to, we have to shout out, um, Todd Vaziri, uh, obsession with the split diopter effect, which is, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, you know, two elements of the, uh, of the shot that are in different focal lengths. Mm -hmm. Um, he loves that. He points it out all the time, uh, and it's pretty cool. It's a cool effect. Absolutely, I like the dolly zoom, which is also it's like, like pushing and pulling at the same time. Yeah, like the the famous one is in Jaws. There's a fun one that they're doing that's kind of a variant on the dolly zoom in Severance, mm-hmm. where they they clearly change the they they like basically they change the the focal length in the through the shot. And that's like what makes his face like when he goes through the elevator and it's what makes his face look either more narrow or more wide. Right. Um, and so that's like cool. Too. At least I assume that's what they're doing. Um, mm. So I think that's all. All those are three answers. I have been on the run, but uh, I desperately need to watch the latest 
uh, episode of Severance. I'm dying to see it. Just because it's in my DNA, it's not like my favorite technique ever, but it is so because of the importance of Star Wars for me. I'm going to say the dissolves and wipes, um, which George like single-handedly resuscitated from the films of his youth, just because they were so striking mm-hmm. um, in it's the true. film. true. You like talking about a dissolve. You love mm. a dissolve. True story. All right. Well, I guess that is it for our letters and voicemails. Oh, that are... What? What, what is that? Wait a minute. Is that Metal Orca calling in? <laughs> Hold on just a second. Oh, no. Oh, my God, guys. I forgot to call Doompod. <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, no. I've ruined it. They're going to fire you. You're not going to be number one anymore. Oh, no. This is the worst day ever. And I didn't even watch the movie. What's wrong with you? I don't know. What's happening? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Corey. Well, he still called in. It still counts. That's fine. I guess so. I mean, there's a lot of crying going on. We haven't, uh, you know, we don't aspire to that. But um, Corey, thank you so much. We love you. Thank you for for giving us a call. Um, and so, what the hell? Hold on. Hey, Doompod, it's Corey from Austin, Texas. <laughs> uh, as you heard in that previous message, uh, I totally dropped the ball and forgot to call and watch the movie. It's just, I don't know. I was like half asleep on the couch. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, stop! My family's giving me the hardest time. So uh, I apologize. And uh, I hope it's a great episode. And uh, I can't wait to listen to it. Okay. Sorry. Bye. I love Corey. Corey. Corey's the best. I don't know what we did to be so blessed by having Corey call us every week. I don't feel, I don't, I don't feel we're worthy of that much love. Mm. Very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. All right, Jason, what do you have to plug? I do want to shout out H. This is pointed out in Discord. I'm going to I'm gonna plug H. Uh, what? Special heart, heartfelt message to H because uh, he knows that I've been obsessed with Elden Ring these past couple <laughs> weeks. Uh, and, you know, I think if we're being honest, he's he's kind of doubted how healthy this is for me to be in this deep for 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 Elden Ring. But he's still he's he's still been there so much so that he learned the names of the bosses uh, in Elden Ring so that he can make his Elden Ring joke earlier uh, when we were doing the 1917 podcast. Um, And that's really that's really true love. Jason, Uh, you complete me. You complete me. (laughs) So I'm plugging H this week. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank Jason, Connor and Rob for an amazing conversation. Next week, we're on spring break, but we have a very special bonus episode, our interview with the Dune scholar herself, Kara Kennedy, covering her recent book, Women's Agency in the Dune Universe, Tracing Women's Liberation Through Science Fiction. Then we'll be back in just two short weeks with Ryan Condal, showrunner of HBO's House of the Dragon, for the 1992 Western classic, Tombstone. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star rating review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We also have a Discord server where you can hang out with us whenever you want. DunePod is a Tape Deck Podcast John 
a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Transcripts provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Megan Hayward of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. Bye.